0: This is the Heartland Daily Podcast.
1: Hello, everyone, and welcome to the podcast. This is Anne Marie Sheber of Healthcare News. You know, the other day I came across an interview that was done with Milton Friedman and he was interviewed by Larry Arne of Hillsdale College. Now, this interview took place in 2006 and they were talking about oil-rich com- countries and and Milton Friedman remarked that every country rich with oil was an autocracy. <laughs> And, and the reason for that was because the government owned the oil. And, and this is what happens to societies in which there is no free market and no property rights. And then Friedman was asked if there was any sign of this in the U.S. And this is back in 2006. And he said, yes, health care. Uh, which brings us to our discussion today. You know, when we talk about health care, we have to talk about Medicare which has a great deal of impact on health care overall. And then, of course, Social Security, our entitlement programs, which are on a path uh, to bankrupt the country. And, and both political parties freeze in their tracks when this issue comes up, which uh, it does every time. The trustees put out their reports and now we've we're talking about the debt ceiling. Uh, the crisis de jour, but it's certainly related to the bundles of money we are shucking out for these programs and the huge liabilities that we face from them. My guest today is Terry Nager. Terry is the primary founder of Plan for America. Now, this is a plan to privatize Social Security, Medicare, and provide people with lifetime affordable health care. And an opportunity to leave people, uh, to give people uh, an opportunity to have a financial legacy to their heirs, something that you don't get right now after paying a lifetime into Medicare and Social Security. Now, a few weeks ago, I participated in the first ever conference on Plan for America, which has been out now for about at least 10 years, and um, And on this panel was John Goodman, the co-publisher of Healthcare News, Stephen Moore from the Committee to Unleash Prosperity, economics professor Daniel Smith. We had a terrific panel, wonderful moderators, vigorous discussions. We talked about debt and deficits and social security and healthcare. Terry, I am pleased to have you on the podcast.
0: Well, hello, Anne-Marie. I appreciate being here.
1: (laughs) Well, we, we have a lot to talk about, but first, Can you give our listeners who are unfamiliar with Plan for America kind of the 30-second elevator pitch?
0: Okay, I'll I'll try to do that. Um, Plan for America is a unique approach to avert financial disaster for the United States. The annual deficits, national debt, and the unfunded liabilities arising from the large social programs, Social Security and Medicare, Uh, are so enormous that the politicians of both parties don't even propose solutions. PFA recognizes that no amount of taxation or budgeting can produce the revenues necessary to solve these problems. The only economic engine large enough to do the job is the U.S. equity market. (coughs) Excuse me. Yes, I can. The PFA strategy combines the best of both worlds, stock market returns for growth, along with contractual government guarantees for safety. PFA also provides universal, high-quality health insurance for every American and that is truly affordable. In fact, those with incomes of less than $40,000 per year would not have any out-of-pocket costs the plan actually will reduce income taxes enhance the social program benefits and solve our nation's financial liabilities
1: i mean there there are a lot of moving parts to this <clears throat> and i would highly recommend to <clears throat> if you want to learn more about this to get the book <clears throat> the plan for america which you can get on amazon for less than 10 bucks and it's written for laymen It's very uh, accessible to most people. It explains the whole thing, but two key things here. All right, so it would take your payroll tax and put it into a trust that you would have in your account and then it would be voluntary so would not you wouldn't have to join this we're not going to force people to you know bail out of these programs and jump into a private program this would be completely voluntary so those are the two key things and you know i i talked about Milton Friedman earlier terry um how do you think he would respond to this plan
0: um i think he would be very favorable toward it because it lessens the dependency on government and gives people the opportunity to have their own health care and their own retirement. And with the health care, they actually would be involved in making the decisions on the spending. Because right now, it's all done by the, the government, the Medicare or Medicaid, and they have no say in it. And therefore, they have no stake in determining if they're overpaying for, for something or not. And they would get more efficient and more, uh, well, just better health care if
1: yeah.
0: they could be involved in controlling the cost. And and that's something that, uh, like you said, uh, Milton Friedman He said the two monopolies were the healthcare and the education that the that's controlled by the government, and they are two of the most inefficient um, services that the government provides.
1: Right and and he talked quite a bit about privatizing these two institutions and this is back years ago and now you know he's not around today but I think he would just be probably frothing at the mouth <laughs> to see yeah. what's been going on because you know think about it we have the whole idea is letting the market do its magic you have gazillion decision makers and it responds the cream rises to the the top, we do not have that in healthcare. It is so dictated and controlled by the government that really there are f- very few choices. Medicare trickles into every aspect of healthcare, and um, and that's why we see people complaining about health insurance. Why we feel why we've got a huge portion of the population that feels it has no alternative but to go onto government healthcare, which is not a solution um, because then of course you have to ration it. So. We we could talk about that topic alone for probably two hours, but I want to get back to the plan. Um, Terry, can you tell us how you started this? Now, you are a financial planner and you have some other financial credentials. What was the spark that ignited your interest and uh, how did you go about this?
0: Okay, it, it really came about as a result of President Bush proposing some privatization, partial privatization of Social Security in 2005. And he, he had some, some supporters. So there, was, there was interest in it, but his timing was awful because we had just experienced the 2000 to 2002 bear market when the dot-com bubble burst and all of that. Mm-hmm. And the sentiment among the people was, well, at least my Social Security is guaranteed not subject to the
1: market.
0: So his timing was terrible, but that it piqued my interest. And then as I thought about it more, I thought there's got to be a better way to combine the privatization with the government guarantees. And that that's what I worked on developing. And then really about 2008, is when it started to come together to realizing we could have both of those and then realizing how would it have to be through a contractual relationship among the federal government, the 50 states, and a private trust representing the interests of the people. And so with that kind of a structure and then the, the unique funding approach that the Plan for America provides was the mechanism that enabled the the whole thing to to function so but it, it was it was that initial uh, attempt at privatization that really piqued my interest and got yeah. the whole thing started
1: and and we should mention your financial credentials, so your financial planner, you help people um, make the best of their wealth. people work hard and they mm-hmm. want to preserve their wealth to take care of their families and and do what they need to do. Um, and And in your book, you talk about the five um, stages or the five levels of a good financial plan. I think this is real interesting yeah. because you kind of design the plan to meet these five areas you You want to talk about that
0: yeah well it it will provide a kind of a basic financial plan for virtually every participant, and assuming that most people would want to participate. I mean, it handles the bulk of their insurance needs from health, health insurance, life insurance, and disability. It handles their uh, investment needs because 15.3% in... Uh, many people may not realize 15.3% is the payroll tax. They, the individual pays half of that, 7.65, and the employer pays the other 7.65. But that whole 15.3 under Plan for America would be put into their account to build their retirement. So that that, that would be a, a tremendous amount of annual investment going for their retirement. So you, you have the retirement planning, you have the investment planning, because all of the money put into the trust would be put into a total... Like a, a total market index type fund, which would be exclusively U.S. domiciled companies, so be subject to to U.S. tax law and U.S. Uh, uh, standards. Mm-hmm. It would be important to for maintaining the value of the of the investments in there. So you'd have the investment account, you have the the uh, the control and taxation because there's tax planning because the all of the monies paid for any insurance premiums would be tax deductible, and the uh, the contribution to the plan itself would be tax deductible. So there's there's tax planning, there's investment planning, there's retirement planning, and healthcare planning, and the Last, the legacy or the estate planning, the benefit is anything that you have put into your retirement account that is paying you out cash flow and you pass away passes to your heirs income and estate tax free. So you have a legacy for your children and grandchildren. Um, the, The example that we like to use is you take the case of, an, say, an inner-city grandmother who has nothing in the world except her now Social Security check, but then it would be a PFA check coming in, and she has nothing for her children or grandchildren. Mm. But now she'd be able to pass what she has accumulated or the, in cash flow, pass on to her heirs. And so so that is the, the fifth aspect of the um, You know, it's a basic financial plan, but it it would something that would be especially good for the lower to middle income people who don't have access to that kind of planning advice and and to set them up with a a financial plan.
1: Yeah, and and this is why you got to get the book, because in the book, you do a case of somebody who only earned... $25,000 Twenty-five thousand dollars over forty years, and how they could actually, through this plan, come out ahead <laughs> uh, potentially? Because you've got, you know, yeah. you're basing it on uh, investments that over time will grow, and you've got a very low threshold. You're kind of banking on what four or five percent. Well, well, th-
0: well the, the example that you're using there, that is the guaranteed level is 4%. See, the way this works, the if when you retire and you you take your payout, you're guaranteed to get the highest of three payouts. One would be what Social Security would pay, two would be all of your contributions with a 4% compounded rate of return paying out 4% of that, or the value of your account at the end of the previous year. Paying out four percent of that. Now that one is the most likely case because mm. the it's the market's likely to return over six percent compounded. Historically, it's been ten. Uh, so if it does, uh, even if it did eight, you would have uh, the return of eight of uh, the two percent for the the trust charge, but that would leave a six percent growth rate, and which would be much greater accumulation than under a 4%. So it's likely you'd get the third one, which would be the highest of the three, and those are what you're guaranteed to get.
1: Yeah, and and here's the best part. We talk about this word guarantee, and everyone thinks because government is the program the the entity behind medicare and social security uh they think it is guaranteed but it is not guaranteed in fact right now right. we're looking at possibly higher taxes Or cutting benefits. So there's no guarantee. And yeah, you talk to young people, they don't even think this thing is going to exist for them. They just are paying it like a tax. And I remember like Stephen Moore on our panel discussion said something like, boy, if we had done this 20 years ago, uh, millennials would be millionaires today, right now. So it would be incredible to see the growth in these accounts. And here's the other thing I really like about it. There's no games, there's no lobbying about what companies this trust would have to buy. It would be every US domiciled public company based on their market cap. We would buy the trust would buy stocks in these companies. There would be nobody saying no, you've got to buy, you know, um social social justice right, companies right, 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 yeah. or any of that nonsense. It would be totally WS2. fair and nonpartisan.
0: Right. Well, and the uh, when you think of the magnitude of it, if, the, if there was like universal participation, there would be about $1.3 trillion going into it each year.
1: Yeah.
0: And that would be a tremendous injection for the economy. Put a, a trillion three into the into the markets each year, yeah. and it would produce a lot of jobs, a lot of economic activity, and uh, it'd it just be very positive. There'd be probably a lot of uh, corporations from around the world that might like to relocate to the U.S. to be part of this index. Mm-hmm. I mean, a, a, another key aspect on the taxation is that this would make dividends on common stock, U.S., common stock corporations, tax deductible to the corporation and tax free to the recipients.
1: And wow. that would
0: encourage much more. So you want the trust to grow as fast as possible mm-hmm. because as it grows, that throws off more revenues to pay down the debts faster. Right. So it's in the government's interest for the trust to grow rapidly to help pay off, reduce the deficits and pay off the debt.
1: Yeah. And and you've, again, you've got to read the book to see how this works because it's really amazing how it would work. It would pay off uh, the debt, the national debt. It would relieve us of the liabilities of Medicare and social security. It would take off and help with the deficit which is Medicaid spending and healthcare subsidization? You know, the government has a huge chunk of um, involvement in the healthcare system. I don't know what it is. I think thirty to forty percent of all healthcare spending is by the government, and and this is just costing unbelievable amounts of money. And by getting it more into the private sector, we could get it back to normal, like normal functioning markets, like housing and food and clothing and whatever. Um, I want to talk to you a little bit about the political stuff now, because here's another cool thing about the book. It's got a picture of an elephant and a donkey on it. So it's written in a nonpartisan way. Okay. There's something in there to appeal to both sides of the political spectrum. Um, But I will tell you, this program that we have now with Social Security and Medicare is so dysfunctional, but it actually benefits a lot of people. And there is heavy lobbying going on. And there are a lot of people who don't want to change the status quo. So I'm wondering if you might venture to guess, do you think that this is something that could change? I mean, you know, we talked about privatization under Bush too, but that was 20 years ago and no one's really talked seriously about it ever since. Do you think PAF could happen in this generation?
0: Uh, yes, I do. And specifically, the, the reason that they don't even talk about it is because, you well, know, they're afraid of it because they consider it the... Third rail, and what what that means for the younger listeners is that in the old subway systems on the tracks there used to be the two outside rails that the that the that the car actually ran on, and then a rail in the middle, which was the source of the electricity which which powered the the subway and touching that third rail meant severe injury or death, and so the now that it's called the third rail of politics, touching the social programs, because people don't want their benefits messed with. Oh yeah. The the reason that I think that we can appeal to people is because we are going to enhance their benefits and lower their costs. I mean, and the other thing is, not only enhancing the benefits, but making them more secure. Because like you mentioned earlier, um, the Medicare trust fund is depleted in 2028 and social security trust fund in 2033, 2034. And so what's going to happen at that point is there's going to be a need for a tremendous amount more money, which will mean far greater taxation, or far greater government borrowing, which would be more inflation. I mean, there none of the choices are, are very good. Right. So, so the I, I think there'll be receptivity because if, if you tell like especially young people the Gen Zs and the millennials, you tell them that okay, instead of that fifteen point three percent, because not only are they losing their part, but they're losing what the what they could be getting from the employer um, is just Flying away to money heaven, instead it could be going into accounts in their name, and building for their future. And if you have a savings rate of fifteen plus percent, and you compound that at uh, well anywhere from four to ten percent, I mean you can just have a tremendous amount of money, and it would be theirs. Yeah. I mean, they're the, but so so I, I i think it could be and I, I think it would appeal to people as long as it can be explained to them
1: right and that's that's the key thing because now we're dealing with generations who have been sort of indoctrinated into this idea that government is santa claus and that government is the you know the the, the person that's going to hold up their back and And that's just not the case. Government doesn't create well that just churns it right um do right. you do you think um That even with this culture and, and, you know, here's another thing that came up in our panel discussions is the division that's going on in our country right now. I am so convinced it's because we're dealing with this fixed pie. We're not seeing the growth. And so people are clamoring over something that's not expanding. But if we allow the free market to expand, everybody wins. We lift all boats. Right. And we just have to start telling people how this works.
0: Yeah, yeah. No, that, that's very true, because when you are dividing up a pie that is not getting any bigger, then everybody fights over over every piece and every <laughs> right. sliver of every piece. But if you have an expanding pie, everybody can win. Yeah, and,
1: definitely.
0: And, that, and that's, that's how this country got to be as large and wealthy and powerful as it as it has become over time, is because we had policies that fostered growth and competition and development and the pie kept expanding and, and the wealth expanded. And now we're we're kind of thinking backwards and constraining it rather than encouraging and developing more of this growth.
1: Yeah. Um I I want to we're getting close to the end but I want to ask you about two oh, more things. Sure. Uh the projections. So in your book you've got yeah. a long table here showing how this this trust could grow over the years and have mm. have it mapped out by the year. It's real cool to see that. Is there any update needed on this and are you attempting to do that?
0: Yes, we are um we have talked to the uh, Dr. Latino, the, the PhD, who built this for us, and he is uh, tied up in a number of things. So we're going to probably have to uh, get with an, someone else. We we we've got a number of people in mind. So, but yes, this is we plan to do it. We realize the necessity of doing it, and uh, the we you know we had a revision to get it to the 2019 numbers, but now it's time to get it to the the next level, and yeah. so. Absolutely right. And also to get an actuarial analysis done.
1: And, you know, who, maybe there's some actuaries listening in our audience who are uh, connected to an academic institution. We need like a, yeah. a, a an action team on this to kick going yeah. on it, because, yeah. again, we're, the clock is ticking.
0: Oh, yeah. No, that, that's absolutely true. Now, I don't believe that numbers are are very far off, even at this point because i think i think greater efficiency would be introduced in the program but that's we don't have that we can't calculate that in the numbers but but my feeling is that even with the numbers that are in there now we're we're probably still fairly close okay because Our, when, yeah. when the, the just the competition that would be introduced with, would help to keep the cost
1: down Yeah. Well, all of this is great. And, and I thank you so much for your work. Get the book, <laughs> and I'll have a link in the podcast notes to it. We also wrote an article about the panel discussion. There are also recordings that you can see, and I imagine that you're going to be doing more of these panel discussions and trying to promote it throughout the country. And yeah, we've got a big election coming up next year. Maybe some of the political candidates will get wind of this and start talking about it, but we really do need to do something. And, um, this is, um, when I explain it to people, even the few people I talked at the panel discussion, they were so excited, uh, upon hearing this. So all terrific work, you and your brother and Kyle, I've never met him, but, um, you know, it's just, uh, we, we do appreciate uh, your patriotic duty here in trying to solve this major problem.
0: Well, we, we thank you and thank you for the, our participation in the podcast here, and especially for your participation in the panel, which you contributed greatly. Um, well, also, just to let people know, if they have questions, you know, you can contact us. We'll be glad to uh, glad to answer.
1: All right. Well, Terry Nager, thanks again. We'll have to have you come back. Uh, Terry Nager is the founder of Plan for America. And like I said, I'll have lots of information in the podcast notes, the website, the links to the articles and the panel discussions. Um, And if you like this discussion, you can help support the Heartland Institute and the Heartland Daily Podcast by passing on this link. And becoming a regular subscriber and giving us a thumbs up on your favorite podcast platform. All of those things do help us. So, thank you for joining us, and I'll be back again. This is Anne Marie Schieber.